Well, I think Terrence mentioned enough times that this is my last Sunday preaching that it made me feel like he really wants me to go. But I know that's not true. What he really wanted was my bus stop to go. And I'm proud to announce, proud to announce it is gone. It is out of the office. Terrence, it, it has been taken. So, uh, well, good morning. Um, I'm really excited to be speaking this morning. Uh, as you all probably know, I, I sent an email out to the church about last Sunday. I wasn't here. I was down in Irvine at um, the ECC, the Evangelical Covenant Church's annual meeting where I was going through an ordination ceremony. Um, ordination is such a, it's always, the idea of it has always been so special to me because it's the idea that you, as the local church, that you as the congregation have uh, set me apart, that you have recognized God's gifts and calling in me, and that you have set me apart uh, formally for the role of pastor in the church. And um, last Sunday was an amazing day to experience that. I do have to tell you, though, um, I messed it up a little bit, because that's generally what I do. I got to Irvine, and uh, on the schedule, it lists all the things that the candidates for ordination have to do. We have to go to these certain events and be introduced to certain people. And on every one of these things, it said, um, business attire is appropriate. The first day, I I peeked in to the event, and nobody was wearing business attire. And so I'm like, forget this. I'm not wearing business attire if nobody else is. And so I I wore something like this. Right. Um, the next day, I peeked in again, and nobody was wearing business attire. And I was like, I don't think business attire is appropriate for anything. I mean, if we're not going to do it, let's not do it. Well, then on Sunday morning, you know, I have to go down into the, the service, and I have to be wearing a black robe. And um, it's a very formal ceremony. And I thought, nobody's done business attire up to this point. It must not be required so I put my robe on, and the robe goes you know, down to here, and below that looks exactly like what you're seeing right now. <laughs> I walk into the room, and I look around at everybody's feet, and I realize there are like 78 people there wearing shiny black shoes. And I'm like, I think I messed that up. <laughs> but uh, our associate superintendent, Greg Yee, he was there. And he looked at me, and he, he just laughed at me. And he said, that is so you. And so I, I felt okay about it. The funny part about it was that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be senior pastor at Hillmar Covenant Church, and a few of the people from Hillmar actually drove down to Irvine for the ordination ceremony. And the chair of their, uh, uh, of their uh, church council, which is like our leadership team, she was there. And after the ceremony, um, she wanted to take pictures and stuff, and Right when I thought I had gotten away with it, she says, Oh, Casey, by the way, I really like your shoes. I was like, oh, man. But it's been a pretty eventful week since then. Sarah and I have uh, enlisted the help of her mother in packing our apartment up. And then um, so many of you were so gracious to come out this week to, um, on Friday to help us pack up our truck and move. Um, on the other end, when we unloaded, there were a number of people from Hillmar Covenant to help us unload. It was like uh, the the move with record time, um, but it still has been very stressful, a crazy, crazy week, and um, 
when I get all uh, stressed out and twisted up like that, um, well, I just get really, really stressed out. And, and that's where I really um, appreciate this, the text this week, the text that we're going to be uh, reading together. Um, if you have your Bibles, please open up to Psalm 126. 126. As you turn there, just let me say again, just very clearly, GRX, thank you. Thank you for uh, putting me through the ordination process. Thank you for praying for me. And thank you for, uh, thank you for recognizing God's call in my life. So Psalm 126. I get twisted up about things. And then I, I read in God's Word, I read something like this. And, um, and it brings me back to a bit of a place of peace. Let me read it. Psalm 126. A song of a sense. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. (laughs) The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning, and we come to your word, and we thank you for your word. Father, as I have uh, sat and tried to prepare this message in the last weeks, I have prayed that it uh, wouldn't sound like a goodbye message, but that it would be your word to your people. And now I pray, Father, that even if it sounds like the former, that it would still at least be the latter. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So you guys know that once a month, in the, in the last six months, we've done this uh, Seeing God from Stadium Seats, this movie night once a month at GRX, and the last one we did was the movie The Apostle. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I've talked about it, uh, actually, from the pulpit a number of times here. And um, in that movie, what you have is a preacher, and he's a preacher who is extremely flawed. He is, uh, in many ways, he's a, he's a bad guy, but still... Somehow, God uses him anyway. And he uses him incredibly. And what you have in the movies, you have a guy right at the beginning, Robert Duvall's character, his name is Sonny, and he is really on top of the world. He's the pastor of a large and uh, successful and financially affluent church. He is on a speaking circuit where he travels all over the South, and he, he preaches in large congregations, and he preaches in small tents, And he's an evangelist, and he he preaches the gospel of Christ everywhere that he goes. And people want him to come and speak, and he wants to come and speak and only speak about Jesus. He's all about Jesus. The beginning of the movie, he's on top of the world, but very quickly he finds out that he's about to lose his wife and his kids because she's having an affair with a youth minister. And as she divorces him, she also maneuvers in the church somehow to have him 
uh, removed as the pastor of the church, and the youth minister is going to take his place. This is something that Sonny really can't handle. He goes from uh, an incredibly high high uh, to an incredibly low low. He goes from a peak right down into the valley. (laughs) And when he's in that place, he does some pretty stupid and silly things. The one thing that he does that I really like is that he, he, uh, he has to go and stay at his mother's house and he stands in his bedroom uh, and he, uh, in the middle of the night and he screams at God. He says, God, why can't you hear me? If you hear me, why don't you speak to me? God, I have followed you since I was 12 years old. I have spoken to you. I have called you Jesus. You have called me Sonny. I'm calling you Jesus. Why aren't you calling me Sonny? And he yells at God in the middle of this grief and this pain. And then uh, he ends up attacking the youth minister, which ultimately leads to the minister's death, and he goes on the run. And all the time, the whole entire rest of the movie is his journey towards restoration, his journey towards some kind of redemption in his life, his journey towards once again hearing the voice of God in his life. It's a pretty touching, it's a, it's a moving story. It's a story about a guy who uh, is very, very near to God. And then through the circumstances of his life, he's very, very far from God. Who experiences the blessing of God, and then he experience, experiences the bitterness of losing that blessing. It's a pretty fascinating story. I don't share it with you because, uh, uh, because I, I want us to learn something from a film. Actually, I want to share it with you because I think it's in the film because it's something common to human experience. It's something that we as God's people experience all the time. Uh, maybe not to the extent that Sonny did or in that kind of exaggerated fashion. But you and me, and even bigger than that, us together as a church... This Great Exchange Covenant Church, we experience this movement from God's blessing to uh, feeling distant from God all the time. It's something that I've experienced here at GRX, and I think it's probably something you've experienced as well. I think it's something that's fairly common to our experience as human beings. These times in our lives where we know that we are beneficiaries of God's transcendent grace. When we are overwhelmed by the flood of his presence. And then there are other times when we look around and the world that was our oyster seems to have turned in on us. And we sit back and we think, wow, what happened there? And this dynamic is individual and it's, and it's emblematic of God, the experience of God's people together, not just here at GRX, but throughout the history of God's people together. And in our journey with Him, God leads us down some pretty different kinds of roads, doesn't He? And some of those roads are, are pretty smooth and they're well lit and they're safe. Some of those roads are unpaved and bumpy and slippery and treacherous. And sometimes the roads, they lead us to the top of the mountain. They lead us to the place where the vista point is just the most magnificent view that you can think of. And sometimes the roads he leads us down are deep down into valleys, 
filled with fog so that when you're driving your car, you can't even see the end of your hood in front of you. And you think, God, what is up with that? The near and the far. God, you lead us to these different places in our experience with you. You lead our church to these different places in proximity to you. And the question that I have in all of this is, okay, if that's the truth, if that's the way that it works, if that resonates with our experience, then how do God's people navigate these nears and fars? How does the church navigate these nears and fars together? (laughs) Out of me and you, how do we navigate those nears and fars on the roads that God leads us down? This is something that I genuinely believe that God has helped me with at GRX. It's something that I think that God has uh, tried to teach me over the last few years. It's something that has really culminated with me finding this psalm and learning about the psalmist's experience with these nears and these fars. Because in Psalm 126, the psalmist captures this this dual experience with God almost perfectly. This dual experience of being close to God and and then finding yourself far away from Him. Psalm 126 is is part of a group of 15 psalms uh, from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 called the Psalms of Ascent. Psalms of Ascent were the songs that the people of God would sing as they would make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. There were three major pilgrimages a year, and as they would would ascend the plateau out of the valley, up the plateau to Jerusalem, they would sing the songs of ascent as they would would, uh, come ever closer and nearer to the city of God and to the temple of God's dwelling. And as they ascended out of the valley into the city of God, the psalmist, he begins with recounting a time of absolute joy with God. Uh, In verses 1 through 3, he he talks about this. He says, uh, When the Lord restores the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream, mouths filled with laughter, tongues with shouts of joy. It was evident to everybody around us. And they said, look what the Lord has done for them. The Lord has done good things for us, and we are glad. It's this time in the life of Israel where uh, there was a small group of people who had been exiled completely out of the land. And it was the moment where they were able to come back into the city of God. And that's what the psalmist is singing about. When God restored the fortunes of Zion, when he brought his people back to the city of God. As they ascend to the plateau of God, they sing of this wonderful time in the history of God's people. And he says, we were like those who dream. (laughs) So close to God. So enwrapped in his love and in his plan and in his mercy and in his presence. That they couldn't help but stand there on the plateau and overlook the valley. And dream of what God would do next. (laughs) And wonder, God, what do you have in store for us next? In Shakespeare's Hamlet, in the famous to be or not to be scene, Hamlet says, uh, he says, 
for in this, that sleep of death, what dreams may come. But this isn't the sleep of death. This is the, the waking of life for God's people. And as they erupt into the life that God has given them, they have a knowledge of God's presence that is so pure, they can't help but be filled with laughter and joy. And it's on display for the nations to see what God has done. And they cannot help but dream. What will our God do for us next? And as is so often the case, you don't really know the measure of your gain until it becomes your loss. Isn't that right? In verse 4, the tone changes. The boasting of God's presence turns into a longing for God's presence. When he restored becomes a cry, God, restore our fortunes. Bring us back to that place. And you can't miss the fact that something here has been lost. You don't know what it is, but something's been lost. No longer in the place where they were before. He cries out, God, restore us, refresh us like streams in the desert. Like, uh, like sowing in tears is how we feel. So help us to bring in the harvest. Restore our fortunes. They go from how much higher can we go with God to a disappointment with, with what's left for them. Allow us to dream again is what he's crying out. Allow us to be near to you. Because right now we feel far. Now you don't have to adjust that language too much to, for it to sound like it could be our language. Do you? Not really. I've been at GRX for just over three years now. And I've felt that ebb and that flow happening in our congregation. Many of you have been here much longer than I have, and I'm sure that you felt it much stronger than me. Some of you haven't been here that long. Maybe you haven't felt it yet, but it happens in every congregation. It happens in every church. I think it happens in every life. I felt this ebb and this flow of this journey with God. I've been in these places of dreaming with this church. I've, I've been in this place of inherited dreams that I've come in and grabbed a hold of and longed for. And then I've also felt like, okay, we have to step away from those dreams for a minute because we have to enter into a time of maintenance. We have to enter into uh, a time of, okay, let's just get by. And some of those dreams start to seem to be fading away into the past. And we move from, uh, God, where are you going to take us now? To, God, where in the world are we? <laughs> I felt that when I, when I first started, the, the excitement of starting a new job, the excitement of starting a new ministry, the promise that I was so excited to, uh, to build this, this uh, lively and functioning youth group. So excited about that. And then through circumstances beyond anybody's control, there was an issue with one of our ministries that happened to take a lot of my time. That didn't just put that dream of a youth group on hold, but in many ways it pushed what I did to the background. And... Uh, 
really, I never got to be as close to you guys, to many of you, as I always wanted to be. And that's okay, because that's where God led, and that's what it needed to be. But you can go from that excitement to that uh, distance pretty quickly. Uh, about a year ago, um, I went down to L.A. for one of my final classes for ordination. It was a history of the Evangelical Covenant Church. And one of the things we had to do is in the large group of us that was there, everybody had to share the history of their church. And uh, I think I went last for some strange reason. And um, you had people sharing the history of churches that were 60 years old and 100 years old and 125 years old. And then it came to me, I said, my church is 10 years old. <laughs> and, um, and I recounted some of the history of our church. And say whatever you want about the history of GRX's, uh, GRX as a church, it's been an exciting history. And I remember after recounting that history, uh, the teacher of the class, who's a professor of church history at North Park Seminary, he said, I think that what your church has gone through in 10 years generally doesn't happen to churches in 50. <laughs> and um, he was talking about the, the ebb and the flow that happens in the history of our church and the history of anybody's church. And I think that as a congregation, uh, we have felt concentrated periods of um, both ministry expansion and ministry stagnation. We've felt uh, that we knew the path that God had ahead of us, and then we've also felt directional confusion. God, we believe that you have this building for us. But then the dreams of that particular building get swept away literally in a flood. <laughs> And you're left thinking, okay, God, uh, what now? Or uh, we enter into periods of prolonged difficulty or uh, changing circumstance. And like our brother, the psalmist, we experience this ebb and this flow. These times of complete and total uh, in sync with God. And times where we feel, man, did I miss your voice? Times of complete clarity and times where it feels a little cloudy. And in those moments, it can be completely and totally tempting to feel that distance from God in a pretty strong way. And it can be tempting to feel that the time for dreaming is past. To feel that uh, the dreams are no longer there to be dreamt. But I want you to know very, very clearly that that is not what the psalmist says. And that is not what God's Word says. The psalmist here sings loudly. And he, he's giving, certainly he's giving a record of, of how God's people experience their journey with God. But in this psalm, he's also giving the story of how God makes that journey with us. We, we feel this near and this far with God, but the psalmist actually is saying that God is never really all that far, even if we think he is. Especially in verses 4 through 6, we, we see two ways in particular that God meets us in, in the faraway places and that he walks us back 
to a place of dreaming. It's not just an appeal for God's presence. It's a record of how God works in and among His people. Look at verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O God, like streams in the Negeb. The Negeb was the desert that surrounded Jerusalem, and it is one of the most arid and dry places in the world. But there are these meteorological phenomena that happen in the Negeb. They are flash thunderstorms that come, and even if they drop less than an inch of rain, you will see uh, torrential streams flowing through the valleys. And what you can have is, uh, you can have uh, a short rain spell, and then overnight you can see grass and flowers bloom in the middle of the desert. And the psalmist is saying that sometimes that's how God works. God steps in, and he, he comes in in a miraculous way, and he meets his people, and he provides these streams in the desert, and new life comes. I've seen that at our church. In all of that ebb and that flow, I've seen it in all of the near and the far. I've seen that happening at our church. It happens in our life together when one of us uh, struggles financially. When, when one of us struggles and, and the rest of us, you know, one person might find out and, and the rest of us kind of rally around and one person writes a check so that you can pay your rent and then another person organizes some money so that, uh, so that that person can buy groceries and can get by for the month. And another person looks to help, uh, to help find a job. And as we work together with God's people, God in a flash comes through his people and he works and he brings grace and love. We see it, um, I've seen it at our church. Whenever there's a person who is hurt or sick or lonely and, and someone notices and takes action to love that person, maybe you've been afflicted with something, uh, some kind of darkness, and you've needed a friend who might understand with no judgment. <laughs> with no reservations. You just need someone to love you. And somehow God brings that person in your life. He brings someone for you to talk to and work it through. There are times when God works like that. Suddenly, without announcement, and mightily and instantly to bring life to his church, to his people, and to draw us near to him. And all of that brings us to a place of dreams. If God can work like that, then how might he work next? The psalmist goes on to say that there's another way that God works. In verses 5 and 6, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Sometimes it streams in the desert, and other times it is faith in an uncertain future based our experience on experience with God in the past. We have this agricultural image of sowing and reaping, sowing in tears. The farmer would always go out with his seed, and it's all the seed that he had. They didn't have seed stores back then. He had to provide his own seed from his own harvest, and he would go out with his own seed 
not knowing what kind of a harvest it would produce, with the uncertainty that it would provide for his family, and go out with an, an uncertainty, go out in weeping. But when the harvest would come, after all of that work, he would come in with, uh, with shouts of joy. The one faithful in the uncertainty of our distance from God will experience, just as we always have, the eventual harvest, the restoration of our fortunes. And the psalmist assures the return to the heights of God's, uh, of God's nearness as we engage in the toil with God that leads to fruit in our lives with Him. We may sow in tears, but the promise is that we will reap in joy. I see this kind of work at GRX as well. I see it all the time. I'm sure that you see it too, and I see the fruit that it produces. Just look a couple weeks ago at Vacation Bible School, at VBS, where we have not just our kids' own people, although our kids' own people for sure, but you have the entire church rallying around, coming together, putting in the work, putting in the labor to put on a program for kids that you're not even sure are going to come. And if you, even if they come, you don't, you're not even sure there's going to be any fruit from it. And you put on the vacation Bible school, and you're faithful to God, and you work, and God works. <laughs> and you have a whole bunch of kids who, on Thursday of the week, stand up to make Jesus their forever friend. You see the nearness of God in that moment, and you ask God, if you can do this, What are you going to do next? I see it in the work that we've done together as a church over the past year. Uh, Coming out of upheaval and into transition, I've seen the work of God as, as we as a congregation have worked together in finding our identity in uh, refreshing our mission and our vision, in uh, (coughs) sowing in tears together and reorganizing our priorities under this mission and vision. And we've labored together to put this into practical action, together with one another and together with God. I've seen this work of God in, in our search committee that has labored to find a candidate for our pastoral or senior pastor position. And they have worked and worked and worked for this and prayed for God's discernment. And now, praise God, we have somebody who will come and who will stand and preach. And you as a congregation will have the awesome responsibility of listening for God and discerning if this is the person that God has called to lead this church. And the toil together with one another and the toil with God, you know, out of the tears of sowing come the joy of reaping and bringing in the harvest. And the longing that I feel here is for God to set us on the task of dreaming. As God works and we work in the ebb and the flow of our journey with Him, I want Him to set us on the task of dreaming. God is near with faithful blessing, and we are free to joyous dreaming. How do we navigate the nears and the fars? How do we ride the ebb and the flow of the tide of God? By remembering that God is always near with faithful blessing, which makes us free to joyous dreaming. 
wherever we are, like verse 3 says, we remember that God has done great things for us and we are glad. God is with us, which means that we can live like those who dream. And ultimately, I think that's what I want to say. I don't think, I know. That's what I want to say to you, GRX. I want to say to you that at this moment, and at every moment in the life of this church, you are to be the ones who dream. Just as the psalmist says in verse 1, and don't even, uh, don't even be like those who dream, but be the ones who dream, because God is faithful in his blessing. You don't have to be in the perfect place as a church, and you don't have to feel particularly close to God even, because he is close to you. So dream. Unfettered, unbounded, joyous, dreaming. Where is God leading you? What do you want to see ahead of you as a church? What ministry is your passion and your dream? Does it not exist? Then create it. Be the ones who dream with God, in God's presence, with God. Work with God, dream with God, without fear of waking, because God is always there in the nears and the fars, and God is always calling you to dream. We navigate those nears and fars by dreaming our way through them. We dream through our mission and our vision. We dream for VBS, for our outreach to local schools and families like our our vision statement says. We dream for our youth ministry, for our staff and kids zone who have taken on junior high ministry and have taken the dream that I had and they have redreamed it in a new place in a new time. We dream for the kids who are going to camp that they would know God and that they would dream. We dream for our church that we would be a welcoming place of love and grace for everyone that this would be a place where Christ's story is preached. And we dream wildly for the potential of a new pastor and the work of God in a new era of this church. Through these ebbs and flows of God's tides, dream for yourself, for your family, and for your place in all of this dreaming. And the nears and the fars don't lose sight of the dreams that God has given us and how you fit in them and how GRX fits in them and how GRX fits into God's kingdom plan. Be the ones who dream, near or far, ebb or flow, distance or closeness, the valley or the peak. Let your mouth be filled with laughter and your tongue with shouts of joy so that the world sees what he has done and be glad. And you don't have to look for those dreams in the past as if you have to live up to the dreams of the past, but we find our dreams in God's future and where God is leading us and what he is doing now and what he is doing next. And we ask God, what are the dreams that you have for us? Look toward a wide open future with God and how he is shaping it with you and your participation and your sowing and your reaping and your dreaming. And dream of how he will use you, you in particular, 
you individually and your unique gifts and your individually created personality and your unique passions that are your own and dream of how God will use you in this church to fulfill these dreams to go from sowing to reaping in joy. Dream in Christ who has made all dreams possible. Dream for God's kingdom at GRX. And you can do this because God is always near in faithful blessing, which means that we are free to joyous dreaming. God is always near in faithful blessing, which means that we are always free to joyous dreaming. Shakespeare wrote, For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come? I I would rather ask, in the waking to life in Christ, what dreams may come for us here in this church, in our relationship with God, in our relationships with one another as God's people, in all of our nears and fars together, God calls us to dream. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you even more for your presence. We thank you that you are always near to us. We may see you right in front of us or we may not see you at all. But you are there. And Father, I pray that uh, we would always remember the work of God, the work that you have done in our lives. And that out of those uh, past moments, we would expect your present miracles. And that we wouldn't be bound We wouldn't be bound by anything. Father, I pray that in Christ, who dreamed so big to overcome death, that you would give us inspired dreams to make your kingdom a reality right here in this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.